to see you. Let's go ahead and get started with our prayer list. If you have a list there in front of you, and uh, we'll give you the scripture out there about the First John chapter five. It said that this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to We know that he hears us. We know that he has a petition that he gives us all his love. So that's a good verse to kind of have hanging in the back of your heart and mind and mind as we go into our prayer. And so tonight, uh, at the hospital, Nicola Hudson.
this is a, a, a I, I'm doing this because I love to do it. I love the whole gospel. When I was in college, I fell in love with the, with the gospel. That was my very first Bible class I ever take. And uh, it just kind of that focus of life throughout these 50 years. And I love to share uh, the beauty of these four gospels and how the Holy Spirit brought these four men to share with us four perspectives on the life of Christ. How that they're not just four biographies, they're not biographies at all. They are sketches of the life of Jesus. Uh, Matthew presents him as king. Mark presents him as the servant of God. Luke presents him as the perfect son of man. And John presents him as the son of God. So we have a sovereign, a servant, and a son of man, and a son of God. So in four, it, it takes four Gospels to get a full-orbed picture of who Jesus is. You know, Jesus said on one occasion, or, or the Scripture says on one occasion, about Jesus, God says it this way. It says that all of the things that Jesus did and said were put into a book, the world could not hold them together. So, obviously, there's a lot about Jesus we don't know. In fact, from the time that he was 12 years old to the time that he was 30 years old, we know absolutely nothing. It's a, it's a selective, Matthew selected those events out of the life of Jesus that presented him as the king. You see this command. Uh, as the king of the Jews, that's an important thing. Not just king, but king of the Jews. Uh, and, and Mark presents him as the servant. So he selects those materials and omits other materials uh, that will focus on Jesus being the perfect servant and on the but tonight, I want us to look at how the Lord prepared the world for the gospel. And uh, because when we pick up the gospels to read them, we're not picking them up in a vacuum. It's not like we're, we've never, it's, it's not like this is totally brand new to us. But I want you to use your imagination with me just for a moment tonight. I want you to be a, we're going to get back into the grammar school here. I want you to do a little pretending with me. I want you to pretend that you have never, ever read the Bible. You know absolutely nothing about it. And uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a little more about that in a minute. But if you have your, your sheet in front of you, uh, uh, there's a fill in the blank right off the bat. And, and that is this blank is the keynote of the gospel and the special Matthew. I want to fill in that blank for you. If you write down the word fulfillment, fulfillment is the keynote of the gospel, especially Matthew. Now, Jesus is the fulfillment of everything the prophet saw, the psalmist sang, and the godly hearts hoped for. Jesus is the fulfillment of every prophecy, uh, of every song that the psalmist David and other psalmists sang. He is the fulfillment of that longing heart. So uh, Matthew, right at the beginning, sets the key. Uh, 
I gave you a number of scriptures there. We're certainly not going to look at all of those, but let me tell you what's common. Uh, let me just read two or three scriptures as a sample of what every one of those verses say. First of all, in Matthew 1, I'll read verses 18 through 22. I'm talking about how that the Gospels are the main word is fulfilling. Now, what are they fulfilling? They're fulfilling everything the prophets said in the Old Testament, everything the psalmist sang about in the Old Testament, everything that was, was pictured for us through all the sacrificial systems in the Old Testament. It's fulfilled in the New Testament. Another word would be to fill it full. So listen to what Matthew said in Matthew 1, 18 through 20. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now notice this. All of this took place to, what's that next word, sir? Fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. So everything in Matthew 1 is fulfilling what the prophets had spoken about the birth of Christ in the Old Testament. Now let me give you one other example. Uh, look at Matthew 2.15. Matthew 2.15. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you for Herod, until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and, and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. Now notice, this was to, what chose? Fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets, and this is what was in the Old Testament. Out of Egypt, I call my son. Now, that's just two examples. Uh, Matthew 2, 16 through 23 is another one. I didn't take the time to read that. You get the sense. But I, I gave you all the verses uh, in Matthew that have that particular phrase, this was done to fulfill. Okay? But now, now I want you to put your, your uh, imagination cap on. Pretend that you've never read the Bible before. You have a Jewish friend who comes up to you and says to you, Our Jewish scriptures are beautiful. I want to ask you, would you please read them? Uh, read them for me? I don't mean just read them once. I want you to read them several times. And, and you respond and say, Oh, you're talking about the Bible. Oh, no, I'm not talking about the Bible. I'm talking about the Old Testament. Uh, you Christ, uh, Christians use the Bible, but I'm talking about the Jewish scriptures. I want you to read them. And so, and so I set out on a, on a journey, and that is, because my friend asked me to, I'm going to read the Old Testament. Now, let me just say to you, kind of as a preparation, 
To read the Old Testament without the Gospel is like a bridge that ends in the middle of the river. It's to read the Old Testament without the Gospel is like an unfinished symphony. It's like you're listening to this great symphony and all of a sudden on a high, it just stops. And that's the way the Old Testament is without the Gospel. Now, so let me, let me, let me just kind of enlarge on that. Now, now, this is our first reading. We, we just read the Old Testament for the first time. And it strikes me, as I read the Old Testament for the first time, it strikes me at the prevalence of animal sacrifice. Now, I don't know if you're where I am, but I read the Bible every year, and right now, I just, I just yesterday finished Leviticus. Now, Leviticus is a tough book, amen? I mean, it's got a lot of blood in it, a lot of sacrifices. There's a there is the burnt offering, there's the sin offering, there's the fellowship offering, there's the drink offering. There's a lot of cows die in Leviticus. A lot of death, a lot of blood. And so I read that, and I, I, I've never read the Old Testament before. Remember now, I've never read the New Testament, and, and I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? Do these sacrifices picture anything outside of themselves. In other words, are they trying to tell me something, or is there something inherent about the sacrifice itself that makes me better toward God? And so, when I finished reading that for the first time, after reading Genesis 4, Abel's sacrifice, he offered an animal, and, and uh, Cain offered fruit, and God was accepted, the, the animal, and he rejected the fruit. And I'm thinking, what does that mean? I go on and I, I, I read through the book of Genesis. I read through the book of Exodus. I read about the Passover, about the killing of every every family that killed a lamb. And I'm saying, what's going on? What's going on? And basically, here's what I come away with. On my very first reading of the Old Testament, I come away with the notion of unexplained because we come to the end of the Old Testament and it has not told us what this is about. We go through all of this. By the way, I read this figure. It's a conservative figure. You know how many lambs were killed on a typical Passover in Jerusalem? A conservative estimate is 15,500. That's a conservative estimate. Josephus takes it out of the roof. He says there was over 100,000 that's a lot of blood. That's a lot of sacrifice. Now, I'm reading the Old Testament. I'm saying, what does that mean? All right, so, well, I said, well, that was, that was fun. I read it the first time. Let me read it again. My friend asked me to read it again. So I, I read it again. And this time, as I continue to read, I discovered what I call unachieved purpose. Unachieved purpose. Uh, it's a wonderful book. But I see the destruction going on. I see the flood of Noah. God saved Noah. I, I see the covenants that God made with Abraham and 
renewed with Isaac and Jacob. I see the twelve tribes as they're delivered out of Egypt and taken through the promised land. I mean, taken through the, the wilderness into the land of promise. And then I see no longer, no sooner than they get into the promised land, that here's the judges. It's a time of great wickedness. And, and, and then they get a king. And then before you know it, the kingdom divides into two. They can't get along with one another. And we got two lines of kings. And, and, and in the northern kingdom, they're all bad kings. And say, what's happened? So I said, well, let me give it another chance. I'm going to read you the third one. So I read the third one. And as I read, I'm struck by something. I begin to read all of these prophecies. The divine prophecy of them having to go to Egypt. How God's going to leave them there 400 years. I read about Jeremiah's prophecy about how they're going to go into captivity and battle up and stay for 70 years. I read those prophecies, and then as I read on over in the Old Testament, I see those prophecies fulfilled. I actually see them brought out of Egypt through the Exodus. I actually see them go to Babylon and stay 70 years and then be miraculously brought back. So I say, predictive prophecy. That's amazing. That doesn't happen by accident. But then I read these other prophecies that are not fulfilled. Isaiah 7:14, the Behold, a great nation comes in, great with a child. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, Behold, the government shall be upon his shoulder. We'll call his name Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father. I said, What's that? So I read these to the Old Testament and they're not fulfilled. So when I finish reading the first one, I'm struck with the fact of unfulfilled prophecy. Now, I'm a Jew. My Jewish friend is <laughs> I don't know what to do. It's unfulfilled pro- prophecy. Unfulfilled expectations, all of these heart longings that we see in the Old Testament. Oh, that I might know him, Job says. Oh, that I might recognize him. We see those heart longings that are never fulfilled. As the deer searches for the water brook, so my heart thirsts after you, O God. But there's just nothing fulfilled. I'm confused. And so I, I, I run across a Christian friend. And the Christian friend said, Hey, would you read our story? I said, Well, you I said, Are you sure? I read the gospel. He says, Just read the gospel. And all of a sudden, unexplained ceremonies are explained. Thank you. 
I hear the New Testament say that he was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And all of a sudden, these unexplained ceremonies in the Old Testament began to make sense because Jesus is fulfilling what they simply could typify. So I'll read the New Testament again. And as I read it, suddenly all of those unachieved purposes began to come into focus. How I read in the gospel, how the words of birth, the Messiah, how did that fulfill it? How did those things fulfill it? How did it make sense? I read those promises Jesus said in Matthew 11 28. Come unto me, all you that are I read John 14, 27. Peace I give you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives, do I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, all of those precious promises begin to show me how does my heart long to be fulfilled in a relationship with Jesus. Then I read this one more time. I read the Old Testament, so I'm going to read the New Testament the same number of times. So I'll read it, and guess what? As I go through the Gospels, I discover how the most of Jesus goes through the Isaiah 7, 14, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a child. There it is! There it is! In the Gospels, the angel came to Mary with God. And all of a sudden, those Synoptics present to us the outer facts of our Lord's life. They give us the human aspects of our Lord's life, as Matthew wants to do, and they major on the subject of Scripture. They spend most of their time up in the Gospels, but John, John gives us a clear path to follow. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us what he did. John tells us what he did. He is the interpreter. John majors and focuses on the private history. Nicodemus, the woman at the well, etc. Whereas Matthew Mark and Luke focus on Thank you that you've given the blessed promise in the book of Revelation that one day they will turn to the Messiah completely. Lord, I long to see that happen. But I pray.
any of them that pick up the New Testament, that they would see their heart fulfilled in what Jesus did. They would see the prophecies fulfilled, or the longings of their heart fulfilled. They would see the ceremonies that they go through or went through back when the temple existed, the sacrifices of thousands upon thousands of animals, how that was fulfilled. And the book of Romans, perfect man of God, his blood shed on the cross to cover and cover for our sins. Not just to cover and cover our sins, but to take them away from us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Next week, we're going to take up each gospel and do one study on Matthew. I'll give you an overview of the whole book. Thank you.